Welcome back to Whores for Whore. I'm Mariah. And I'm Kayla. And we are so excited to be back. We do have big life updates, though. Oh my god, so many. I started a master's program, but Kayla is also starting a bachelor's program and this bitch bought a house. So, whoop, whoop. High fives all around. Yeah, I apologize in advance if this audio is wonky, but I want Mallory to at least stop recording. <laughs> yeah. This is from a new location. We're fresh. We're educated. We're mm. new. Here we mm. go. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. But also a quick reminder, we're going to still do bi-weekly episodes for now just mm-hmm. because like, you know. We got a lot of shit going on. We go to school. We also work full time and we do this podcast. So like something has to slack. And unfortunately, we're not making money from this yet. So yeah. Yeah. Actually, but, I mean, we still love the podcast. Yeah. Well, actually, I think we have like 90 cents of revenue. So oh <laughs> I thought it was like $2. Oh, oh, shit. I haven't looked in a while. We have like two it might be $2. Dollars. <laughs> we can get like a stick of gum. And like one thing from the Dollar Tree because they raised their prices. Great. Yeah, it's like $1.25 now, but still, we could get one thing from the Dollar Tree. Yeah. Okay, so this week we are doing unsolved cases. So mine is unsolved, but probably solved. Like, we all know who probably did it, but yeah, you'll see. Okay, so I am covering the disappearance of Nikki McCown. I thought you were going to say Nikki Minaj. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so Marilyn Renee Nicole McCown was born on January 6th, 1973. Okay. Obviously, she goes by her nickname, Nikki, so that's how I will refer to her for the rest of the story. She was 28 years old at the time of her disappearance and living in Richmond, Indiana, with her daughter Peyton, who was eight, and her fiancé, Bobby. So I want to show you a photo of them. Oh, cute. Yeah, so that's obviously Nikki and that's Bobby. They are so cute together. Yeah. Ooh, I like the way she spells her name. Yeah, yeah, it's very unique. Yep, so that's Nikki and Bobby. Such a beautiful woman. Her skin was freaking flawless in every single photo I found, and I am seriously jealous. Yeah, what did she do? (laughs) I don't know, early 2000s, like people that just didn't care about their skin. Some of them had great skin still. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, I guess their body like regulated. Yeah, because me over here, I'm like, listen, I got like a 10-step routine and I look like this. Like, what the mm, fuck? Same, same. <laughs> um, well, it's our jobs. Our jobs take it yeah, out of us. stress. Yeah. <laughs> so Nikki worked at the Montgomery Education and Pre-Release Center in Dayton, Ohio. So Richmond is actually only about 50 minutes west of Dayton, so it wasn't like a crazy drive or it wasn't crazy that she was working in a whole other state. Okay. Interesting. She started there in 1994 as a guard and worked her way up to becoming the head accountant. So this bitch is making moves. <laughs> um, she was also taking criminal justice courses at the local community college and had goals of becoming an FBI agent or a U.S. Marshal, and she was making like, that happen. Yeah, I feel like I've heard briefly about her case before. I don't know where. Oh, no. I didn't do, like, a deep dive into okay, it. Good. I've just, like, this just feels familiar. Familiar, yeah. So maybe it's because, like, true crime cases yeah. feel the same sometimes. So Nikki and Bobby were set to be married on August eighteenth, two 2001. They'd actually dated another time before their engagement, 
They dated in high school, and they only broke up because Bobby actually moved to California in 91. Okay. So the two, they, you know, moved on. Nikki dated other people, as she should, and she had her mm-hmm. daughter Peyton. Okay. So Bobby's not, is not Peyton's father. But in mm-hmm. 98, Bobby returned to Indiana, so they rekindled their relationship. Nice. So our story really begins on July 22, 2001 which was just three weeks before her wedding and one week before Peyton's ninth birthday. And by all accounts, this day started out as completely normal. Nikki and her family attended church, just as they did every Sunday, and then they all had different errands to run. So Bobby and his cousin actually headed to the mall to get his cousin's tux fitted for the wedding, while Nikki headed to the laundromat to get their laundry done. Okay. And before going to the laundromat, she dropped Peyton off at her mother's house. So everything seemed completely normal. Um, Just a short time, though, after going to the laundromat, Nikki actually came back to her mother's house while her clothes were in the dryer. And she actually came back because she told her mom that there were these two creepy men harassing her, you know, giving her a hard time. And she said, I just needed to get out of there. See, can't even do her fucking laundry. Without someone having some shit to say. Yeah. Um, So when recalling this moment, her mother, whose name is Barbara, said, quote, I laughed at first because she was such a pretty girl. I just thought that some man was making a play. I said, Nikki, just calm down because she was really upset, end quote. And her mother also volunteered to let Nikki do her laundry at her house. But Nikki was like, you know, my laundry's already done. It's in the dryer. I need to just go get it and fold it. And then I'll be back to pick up Peyton. Uh, okay. So Nikki stayed. She calmed down. You know, once she thought her clothes were done, she went back to the laundromat just real quickly to pick them up. But then a few hours passes and Nikki still hasn't picked up Peyton. And during this time, Bobby Bobby actually gets back to their apartment. There's no Nikki, but he sees her purse and ID are there. So he thinks that she probably just took like a little bit longer than anticipated at the laundromat. Or she was just, you know, spending time with her mother, girlfriends. Like she could be doing a bunch of different things. Um, but her purse and ID are at home? Yeah, they're at their apartment. And I guess that so- that was normal. Like not her doing quick errands, not taking her purse was normal. Really? Yeah, which is total opposite of me because I'd be taking that shit How everywhere. Are you paying? Yeah. Maybe she just had like a little, if it's like a laundromat, maybe she just had like a baggie of quarters and didn't need everything, you know? Okay. I see where he's coming from that maybe she just did her yeah, laundry, not... was eating yeah. over there, you know? Yeah, it's just I find it odd to not take your stuff with you. But that's just me, and also this is the 21st century, so... Yeah, I keep my ID, cards, phone, chapstick, all that. (laughs) Really? Um, So finally around 6 or 7 that evening, he begins calling around and asking if anyone had seen Nikki. And so he learns that Nikki still hadn't picked up Peyton and that nobody had seen her recently. So he decides, like, I'm done calling, I'm getting in the car, and he starts driving around to look for her. He goes to the laundromat, all of the stores that she went to, and there's no sign of her. Then he makes the drive over to Dayton, Ohio, where she worked, thinking maybe something happened at work he didn't know about, like 
Did she have to go pick something up really quick? Did she get called in and didn't have the time to tell anyone? And apparently they also didn't have a cell phone at this time. So there's okay. no way she could just like quickly call. Okay. Um, he's also thinking she could have gotten into an accident on the way there. So he is like trying to keep an eye out for her vehicle just to like, you know, check. But he still doesn't see her anywhere. And this is like 7, 8 o'clock at night? So at this point, this is like 9 or 10 because he's been calling oh. everyone. Yeah. And so he didn't see her. He comes back. And early, early the next morning, like as the doors open at the police department, Nikki's family files a missing persons report. And so after filing the report, they decided that they were going to go to the laundromat and start asking questions themselves. Actually, next to the laundromat, there was this store called a village pantry and from my understanding it's kind of like a grocery store okay and this village pantry was full of down bitches because they let nikki's family just see the security footage which normally yeah normally that doesn't happen so i was like dang good job (laughs) um the footage reveals nothing unusual she doesn't look stressed she walks in buys a coke and then leaves No one appears to follow her car out of the parking lot. No one is paying, like, special attention to her that they could see in the video. And this video was taken before she stopped at her mother's house. So they know that nothing happened to her between the video being taken and her appearing back at her mom's. So wait. No, what? The dog. So basically... She tells her mom that these two people are, like, harassing her. But in the video, she's seen leaving the laundromat, going to get a Coke, and then leaving, and appears completely fine. Her car is seen pulling into the village pantry parking lot. So they assume that she went to the laundromat, dropped her clothes off, and then drove to the parking lot. I'm not sure how close they are, but they are next door. So she, like, dropped her clothes off, went and got a Coke, and then went back to the village. Or to the... Laundromat. Okay. And then that's probably where she got harassed and then yes. she went to her mom's. Yeah. Okay. And so after they saw this footage at the village pantry, her family goes back to the laundromat to start questioning the workers. And the workers didn't even remember Nikki. So not saying that she wasn't there, but saying that nothing stood out that would cause them to remember her. Okay. So that's, you know, a relatively good sign. Like, no one was confronting her so much that they took notice or stepped in. Okay. Hmm. Unfortunately, at this point, though, the police are basically saying she's an adult. She had the car. You know, she probably left voluntarily. Maybe she had cold feet, blah, 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 blah. See, stop using that as an excuse, okay? And so the family was like, no, there's no way she would leave her daughter. There's no way that she would leave with this wedding that she's been planning for months. And they spent like thousands of dollars getting this wedding ready. And also, she loved her fucking job. Like, she's not just going to up and leave. Yeah. So her family decided that they would wait until her next shift at work. And if she didn't show up, then they knew something would be, you know, seriously wrong. And sure enough, Nikki didn't show up to work. And I think it was like the next day after filing the missing persons report, but I could only find that in one source, like how long her next shift was. Yeah, but at the same time, like, if she didn't pick up her child... That's a pretty big fucking sign. So... 
And so once she didn't show up to work, they go back to the police. They're like, hey, check her bank cards. They do, and nothing turns up. At this point, the police are finally like, oh shit, maybe something happened, and they're no longer brushing her family off. They actually do a helicopter search between Dayton and Richmond looking for her car because everyone is kind of under the assumption that if they can find the car, that then they can get some answers. Well, yeah, it'll at least tell you what direction she was going and maybe why. Um, they don't find the car, but they still investigate and they decide to, you know, obviously look into the people that are close to her. Okay. And so the first person oh. to be investigated is Bobby, her fiance. Yeah, standard procedure. And I will say that Bobby didn't do himself any favors in the eyes of the police. Oh, no. So one day after Nikki was reported missing, he calls the community college that she was attending. And according to the woman who took the call, he basically tried to collect her unused tuition. Which, like... For what? First of all, it don't work like that. <laughs> Wait, did she did she pay out of pocket for this tuition? So Bobby actually didn't know that her employer was paying for her tuition. So there's no way that they could even collect anyways. Yeah, the only way that you could even get any of that money back is if you put it up front out of your own pocket and you're not using and it. And if so. you're within, like, a certain amount of days. Like, I know MSU, like, we only get our stuff back... If we 100%, if we fully withdraw within like seven days of the class is starting. Yeah. And this was in July. So I'm like, well, that's a summer course. She's probably been in the summer course since June. Like. Yeah. Even May. Yeah. Depending. Okay. So wait, he's, how does he not know that her employer is paying? I don't know. He didn't have any answers for that. Okay. And so then by Wednesday... And remember, she went missing on Sunday. Bobby takes his wedding ring back to the jeweler where Nikki bought it and tried to return it for cash. So this dude obviously needs cash. Yeah, he needs money. Well, and then, and then he completely canceled the wedding, demanding their full deposit back, which like, I'm not privy to their financial situation. Like, maybe he thought he needed the funds to search for her. But I don't know. Well, okay, if he is set on the idea that she left because she doesn't want to go through with the wedding, like, refunds are on a time limit. Uh, so yeah, I could see that, yeah. You know, I'd probably cancel that shit, too, until we figure out where she's gone. Because either something has happened or she's just left because she doesn't want to get married. And I'm not dishing out thousands of dollars because somebody got cold feet, you know? Yeah, I agree. I, I'd cancel that, too. The school, I don't know about. The ring, I don't know about. Yeah. But, like, maybe the venue and stuff, because that is expensive. Ten grand minimum yeah, and, and, in most places. And all the sources were saying is that they've, like, shelled out a lot of money up to this point. Yeah, so that, I don't fault him on. I'd be like, cancel, 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 cancel. <laughs> yeah. We obviously need to regroup when we find you. And then we'll fix the wedding later. Um, so from Bobby's side of things, he denies ever trying to cancel the wedding. Uh, he claims that he just made remarks that the wedding didn't even matter. And all he cared about was Nikki coming home. And he actually doesn't mention a deposit. So I don't know if he ever got money back or if money was ever given. 
So where did this, like, he tried to cancel come from? This came from her friends and family, saying that he was trying to get the deposit back. Okay, that's hearsay. Yeah, you'll see. You'll see what happens. Um, Okay. He also claimed that he called the school to figure out if she had an outstanding loan that she would be defaulting on if she wasn't there. So, like, that doesn't seem horrible from his side, but also if my fiancé was only missing for 24 hours, the last thing crossing my mind is their fucking school loan. Like, I, that's just not something I would do. Yeah, yeah, but if he thinks that she just, like, needed to get away, maybe he's trying to get ahead and, like, figure it out, look after her. Take care of her financially. As far as that goes, because if he knows that her employer is paying, then he knows that she could get in a lot of trouble and, oh, a lot of money if she just dips out in the middle of school. So maybe, yeah, maybe that's how he was looking at it. I don't know, though. Um, finally, he said he did go to sell the ring, but it was because he wanted to buy a cell phone because it's super important, obviously, for everyone to stay connected. So, like, I can really see from yeah. both sides... And I definitely understand that, like, from the police's angle, Bobby's looking pretty sketch. Like, I totally see both sides. Both sides. Yeah. No, I'm really, if if my partner is missing for over 24 hours and there's a police inquiry into it, I don't give a fuck about your ring. If I need to stay connected and I need a cell phone and the only thing that can get me that is this ring, bye. Bye, ring. Yeah. Um. So Bobby is not labeled a suspect in this case at this point. He's only labeled a person of interest. So I actually did have to go and look that up. And so when you're labeled a person of interest, from my understanding, it doesn't mean that you necessarily had anything to do with the crime, but it means that you could have significant information to further the case. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that, so I had to look that up real quick. Which is kind of sad because, like, my bachelor's is in criminology, (laughs) but whatever. I mean, they don't tell you that. Yeah, it's more like, why did they Yeah, and, like, inner... Like, in the entertainment industry, a person of interest, you know, they basically make them seem out to be, like, number one prime suspect. So, you know, that's what most people would think anyway. Also, at this point, Nikki's family is doing, like, a fucking intense search by themselves. I didn't mention this, but Nikki is one child of ten. So she has a very (laughs) large family. And from my understanding, they all lived in the same area. And they're, like, you know down bitches looking for their fucking sister to the point to where they themselves were getting arrested during this time. So (laughs) not sure if it was like harassment or what, but they're trying to solve this case on their own, just like I would. Like, you know, no shame. I would too. Yeah, I don't really care. If I'm trying to find, you know, my family member who's just gone missing, like, arrest me on harassment. Uh Tell me what I need to know. Also at this point, her family basically shuts Bobby out because they think that what he's doing is like super sketch and so he really has no interaction with the investigation and search at this point. So the investigation brings up no new clues and the case actually goes cold for about three months until November 3rd of 2001 when Nikki's car is finally found in Dayton. Okay. So it's located 40 miles from her home And it's in an apartment complex where her ex, the father of her child, actually lived. And so, obviously, Mm -hmm. the cops are like, yo, like, let's talk to this dude. So, they immediately talk to him. He fully cooperates, provides, like, DNA evidence, takes a polygraph, 
flies, like passes with flying colors, not that that means anything, but he is like cleared. He's no longer a suspect or person of interest. Okay. Why is her car there then? Did he answer that? No, he uh, didn't have an answer, no. Okay. Um, in the back seat of the car, there's still the laundry basket folded, like all the laundry's folded in it, mm-hmm. and there's nothing else. Like literally the police like process it. There's no DNA, no fingerprints, no signs of a break-in, struggle, nothing. She goes to the laundromat, drops her clothes off, goes and gets a coat, goes back to the laundromat, allegedly gets harassed, goes to her mom's house, stays for a bit, goes back to the laundromat, gets her clothes, somehow puts her purse back in the house, or she just didn't take it in the first place? Didn't take it in the first place is what the police believe. Okay. And then drives 40 miles away without her purse. Yeah, to Dayton. Yeah, okay. So the one thing that the car does provide is like a focusing point on Ohio rather than Indiana. Mm -hmm. So at this point, the police are like, hey... Maybe, like, she was kidnapped at the laundromat, forced into her vehicle, and then driven to Ohio. This is just kind of their theory. They still think something happened at the laundromat, and she was taken here. But if none of the workers at the laundromat noticed anything out of the ordinary, then I don't think that's I know. I don't agree with that. why would some random person, assuming this is a random person, why would they drive her across the state line? So either it's someone who knows her. Or she drove there on her own and we don't know why. And then she was, something happened yeah. to her in Ohio. That's what I would be. That's what I would lean towards. To but what do we know? We're not. <laughs> um, again, she works in Dayton. Obviously she has connections. And one of those connections was a coworker named Tommy Swint. Okay. So Tommy actually lived about a quarter of a mile away from the complex that Nikki's car was found in. And there's rumors that the two were more than just co-workers, or at the very least, Tommy wanted to be more than just co-workers. Okay. Tommy is also said to have a violent streak, according to the police officers in Dayton, and also Nikki's family. So Dayton police officer Patty Tackett said, quote, Many people said that, and especially towards women. Very violent towards women, that seemed to be the common denominator, end quote, when discussing Tommy Swint. So he gets mad when he gets rejected. Mm-hmm. Also, one of Nikki's sisters claims that she went to visit Nikki at her apartment, and when she was walking down the hallway towards the door, she heard screams. So the sister, like, obviously barges in and sees Nikki sitting on a chair with Tommy standing over her. And Nikki has, like, her knees drawn up to her chest, but then one foot on Tommy's chest trying to push him away from her. So when was this? I didn't have an exact time frame. This is just something that her sister, like, brought up. Okay. And when Nikki sees her sister, she screams and tells her sister that Tommy was trying to rape her. Why didn't she press charges? So this doesn't even get reported, and it's only her sister's story. And her sister is convinced that if she wasn't there, then something would have happened to Nikki that night. Yeah, didn't, and I... This should have been reported, and she works with this guy? She works with this guy, yeah. So I don't know if she didn't report it, just thinking, like, 
he's my friend. Like, you know, maybe I was being overdramatic, but like, girl, you weren't being overdramatic. Yeah, that was like, what, 21 years ago? Like, people don't think that, they didn't think that way. Mm -hmm. So obviously the police try to question Tommy, but he was like, not cooperative. They said he would just flat out refuse to answer certain questions and would go completely off subject when answering the questions that he was willing to answer. You know what? Dude's obviously, like, a shitbag, but it's well within his rights not to answer questions. Yeah, and so, like, they can't force Tommy to talk to them. They have no hard evidence that he's involved or was even around when Nikki disappeared. So they just consider him a person of interest and, like, move on with the investigation. Okay. So, unfortunately, this case goes cold again for about six years. Yeah, during this time, her family offers a $100,000 reward, like if someone has any information that can bring her home. Um, In 2007, Nikki and her family learned that Tommy was actually hired to be a fucking police officer in Trotwood, Ohio. Oh, good. Good job. And you know... I mean, this motherfucker probably did it. You'll We'll talk about this later. But, like, someone who's a person of interest in a missing persons case, like, should not be a cop. I'm sorry. Like, you just shouldn't. Ah, uh, well, according to your definition of a person of interest, it doesn't mean that they're I, a suspect. It just means that they have or could have, knowingly or unknowingly, more information that could further the investigation. So what you're saying is someone who is a potential suspect should not be a cop. Yeah. Not necessarily a per- person of interest. Okay, yeah, potential suspect. Like, I agree if he that. was like, hey, I'm a person of interest, I fully cooperated, like, they just think I have more information, that's that's Yeah, you're fine. transparent. Yeah. But yeah. to someone who's like, nah, I'm not going to answer those, like, uh. So a transparent person of interest is good. Yeah. A sketchy ass <laughs> one is like, nah, we yeah. don't, no, I don't think so. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah, okay, I get that. I agree with that. <laughs> um, so obviously once the family and the Richmond Police Department hear about this, they reach out to Trotwood and they say like, I don't know what he told you, but he's like very much still a person of interest in this case. And Trotwood PD actually. Oh, still active person of interest? Yeah. Oh, God, Yeah, like, no. this case is fully still going. He's act- We're actively investigating him. No, no. Should not have gotten a job. And so Trotwood PD was like, oh, actually, he didn't fucking tell us this. Like, they had no idea he was even involved in this case. You guys didn't do a background check? Didn't, like, talk to some counterparts? That's what so, I was hey, saying. <laughs> I know the fucking borders over here are like... Yeah, you didn't call your references? Let me talk to people in Indiana and be like, hey, you guys got this person over here? Like, hello? Yeah, that's what I said too. Um, but they, you know, do their due diligence. They asked Tommy to resign or that they were going to take steps to get him terminated. And so okay. he resigns, but immediately sues both Richmond and Trotwood saying that he was forced out and he had no idea he was a person of interest. So eventually the lawsuit gets dismissed. Tommy doesn't like win anything. The police department doesn't win anything. The courts are basically like, this is stupid, no. But Tommy lands all over the news with this case. Oh, good. And shortly yeah. after the case was dismissed in November of 2007, an anonymous tip comes in to Dayton police that he should be investigated for the unsolved murder of a woman named Tina Ivy. Oh, 
Hello, anonymous tipster. So Tina Marie Ivy was 34 years old and was working as a sex worker at the time of her death. Okay. She had been found naked from the waist down, raped, brutally beaten, and strangled to death. Her body was wrapped in a blanket and kind of like um, taped over. Mm-hmm. And lying in a pile of trash near a road in Dayton, Ohio. Mm, I bet that was on purpose. Um, investigators managed to collect DNA from this scene, including semen from the back of her jacket. And they took Good. this DNA and ran it through CODIS, and there was no matches. But what's his face? Probably wasn't in CODIS. Yes. Wait. He should be in CODIS, though, if he has a job as a police officer. But he's not in there. So, unfortunately, they have no lead. Well, hold on, hold on. Let me just finish. Not convicted. He's not convicted, but let me tell you what we know, okay? So, unfortunately, this case has no leads or persons of interest, so it basically goes cold until this tip. All right. Okay. So, the Dayton Police Department take this tip seriously, and they decide they're going to compare Tommy's DNA to the DNA collected from the scene. Unfortunately, they didn't have a sample of Tommy's DNA, but luckily for them, the Richmond Police Department did. Yes, interagency communication. During this time, he was suing the police department, saying he had no idea he was a person of interest. The Richmond Police basically tried to call his bluff, and they said, okay, if you're so willing to cooperate, we would love to take DNA from you. And Tommy let them. But the police didn't enter it into a database because at the time he was only a person of interest in Nikki's case and there was no DNA to compare it to. So they kind of just like, well, they did just hold on to the sample, but send it to Dayton for comparison. Yeah, but if you're taking the sample, like instead of like constantly storing it, you should just put it into the system. Like if you're going through the effort of taking it, put it in the system. Girl, I agree. I was like, they, wait. He he agreed to it when he gave yeah. you the sample. I was like, wait, you didn't just like put it into CODIS? I don't know like the laws or like if it costs money to put shit into CODIS, but like. I mean, yeah, probably. I feel like that should be in CODIS. Anyway, they test his DNA. And his fucking DNA was a match to the semen found on the back of Tina's jacket. Wow, look at that. Which, apparently, that wasn't enough to get an indictment because she was a sex worker. And they said, oh, like, he could have just been, you know, having intercourse with her and that happened. And then she got arrested. So the Dayton police were like, you bet. We're going to go back to all the evidence. I was about to say, they can tell what time she died. Yeah. An estimate. They should be able to tell. Shouldn't they be able to tell, like, the last time she had sex? Or is that not a thing? They should. Did she have multiple partners that night? Because you can tell that. Because if she only had the one, then... Well, I mean, I guess there's enough reasonable doubt that... Yeah, I think that that's the thing, is there's enough reasonable doubt that they wouldn't be able to get a conviction. Um, But the forensic lab, they were actually able to pull a partial print from the tape used to bind Tina's body. So the police so the police are like, hey, this could be Tommy's. We need a warrant. The police tracked down Tommy, who at this time was living with in Alabama, and served him with a warrant to collect his fingerprints. Do you see that? Enough information, gets a warrant, goes to Alabama, 
gets his fingerprints. That's amazing. This is good police work. I'm happy about this. <laughs> um, so during the collection, they start to question him about Tina. They're like, hey, did you ever know her? He's like, no. They said, have you ever seen her before? He says, no. They show him a photo and this motherfucker says, I don't know her, but she was, quote, pretty. Like, what the fuck? They asked him if he killed Tina. He said no, which was a bold-faced lie because sure enough, his prints are a match to the partial prints on the tape. So, on February 3rd, 2010, the police indict Tommy on the murder of Tina in Dayton, Ohio. But since he lived in Alabama, the police down there were tasked with making the arrest. Okay. So at 1 p.m. that same day, the police go to his house and when they reach the front door, the police hear a gunshot. They okay. eventually get into the house and they see Tommy lying in the middle of the floor with a gun in his hand because he'd taken his own life. Wow. What a way to go. And what, like, job guy. what a fucking cowardly way. Like, you, yeah. you almost certainly killed this woman and you can't handle the fact that you're going to be brought to justice, so you kill yourself. Um, fortunately, though, Tina's case has all but been closed with the conclusion that Tommy was her murderer and he was responsible for her death. But there's okay. still no answers to Nikki's case to this day. Her body... Yeah, so we still don't even know where she went. Her body has never been located and no other clues have come, come forward. And, like, a deep dive into Tommy's life didn't shed any, like, potential clues. And that's the thing. Like, if he's only killed two people, how did he get so good that her body's never been found? Like, that almost makes me think that he's a full-on serial killer. So when was Tina killed? 91. Oh, 10 years so before like a, Nikki. 10 years later. You don't do, there's not, no, there's not 10 years in between yeah. murders. If you're a full-on serial killer, you're not just chilling. And also, generally, I mean, I don't know if dude's got that much rage that he killed somebody in 91. There's not going to be, like, no more women who he's hurt. Yep. Nikki's family, Bobby, and the investigators in her case believe that Tommy very likely had something to do with Nikki's disappearance, but there's also no evidence linking him to her case. So if you or anyone you know have tips for the disappearance of Nikki McCown, we urge you to contact the Richmond Police Department at 765-983-7247. And that is the story of the disappearance of Nikki. Wow. That was a good case. Yeah, it was crazy. So yeah, Tommy probably did it, but... Probably, but still unsolved. And this is actually where we're going to end today's episode. In two weeks, Kayla is going to do her unsolved episode. I think that this definitely, like, doing solo episodes will give us the most amount of time to focus on school because that is our number one priority but we seriously love researching, talking, obviously, and creating this podcast. So we want to still be able to give you guys episodes while being able to maintain a life yeah. balance. Yeah. And I think that's also a good idea because I don't want to like half-ass the podcast episodes. Yeah. So if we have a little bit more time to edit and research, and I don't know why my voice cracked like that, but you're welcome. <laughs> 
then I think that that's a that's a good way to yeah. do it. Yeah, and I think that this will stop us from, like, I never want to feel like this is a burden. Like, I want this to be a yeah. hobby and something I love. And so having yeah. more time is going to ensure that it stays that way. Oh, um, on an outro note, um, this is absolutely not related to anything. I bought a lawnmower the other day. Look at her. She is adulting. <laughs> yeah. It's green. It's real cute. <laughs> yeah, so every week, I mean, hold on. Every two weeks, we plan to update you on our lives, if anyone yeah. cares, and then go into, like, a quick episode. And we're so glad that you guys are supporting us while we're doing this, that yeah. you guys are still listening, you're still yeah. here. We just love you guys so much. Yeah, thanks for your attention. Yeah, seriously. I don't know how <laughs> you listen to us. but Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but yeah, so we'll be back on the 1st with a brand new episode. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah. Bye. Bye.